So Money episode 1595, the 411 on prenuptial agreements with Aaron Thomas, founder of prenups.com. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Pretty much everyone that I've come across who's getting married wants to stay married, right? So when we're talking about incentive, everyone wants to create ways to make the relationship You said pretty much. That means there are some that... Right, right. I think I read some statistic where, you know, 96% of marrying couples think they'll stay together forever. And you, you wonder what's going on with that other, you know, 4%. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. It is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Did you know that post Thanksgiving is when engagement season ramps up? That's according to my guest, Aaron Thomas, who's here to talk about something that probably you wouldn't want to think about when you're first engaged or on your way to getting married, but it's important and more millennials are getting them the prenuptial agreement. Aaron Thomas, our guest, is a three-time winner of Atlanta's best divorce attorney and one of the nation's top experts in family law issues. He's a Harvard grad and a prenuptial and postnuptial agreement legal expert. He's the founder of prenups.com and the author of the new book, The Prenup Prescription, which walks couples through everything they need to know about the premarital contract, which he says can save your marriage. Now, I know he might be a little bit biased, but kind of makes sense, right? Who really needs a prenup? How much do they cost? How do you find an attorney? Should you DIY it? Aaron answers some of the frequently asked questions around prenups. And if you don't have a prenup, don't worry, you can always get a postnup. Here's Aaron Thomas. Aaron Thomas, welcome to So Money. This is very timely for us. There's been some questions coming to the show about prenups. My brother just got married. How did you know that the world is ready now more than ever to talk about prenups? Oh, just just perfect timing. Just ESP, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I look forward to learning a lot about you. I think that over the years we have touched on prenups. So I really want to dedicate the next 30 minutes to answering as many uh, frequently asked questions about prenups. Uh, but first, tell us a little bit more about your practice, Erin. Um, you're behind prenups.com, which by the way, congrats on getting that URL. Not a <laughs> Was it just available when you wanted to get it or did you have to fight for that for that URL? Oh, yeah. No, I, I wish it were available on, on GoDaddy when I got online to look for it. No, that, that was about a year in negotiation to get it. But um, but yeah, I started, started prenups.com in uh, 2021 and just trying to provide like a go-to location for people to get a trustworthy prenup, you know, no matter where you are. Because up until that point, what did you see in the industry that needed disruption? I think um, for I think at, at least I can say from a mindset perspective how I would interpret a prenup back then, which was only two years ago, uh, three years ago, but even like maybe say 10 years ago, the uh, perception was that prenups were just for the rich. You got them when you had fancy lawyers. They were almost like also a prelude, a precursor to divorce. But what did you see happening when you started prenups.com and now you have a book as well? Like what did you see happening that was changing that suggested, you know, this is something that we need to make more accessible? 
Yeah, I, you know, I saw a lot of the need for prenups uh, from the other end in my divorce practice. So, you know, at this point in my career, I probably litigated over a thousand divorce cases and I've seen the same problems crop up over and over. And it struck me that, you know, things don't go wrong. They start wrong. And uh, a lot of people needed help on kind of combining their finances at the beginning of their marriage so that they can hopefully avoid a lot of the pitfalls that I saw my divorce clients deal with over the years. Well, let's get to the beginning of this. As a couple is getting married, why would a couple want a prenup? What is the purpose? Yeah, the purpose is to set forth the financial rules for your marriage and, if necessary, yes, the end of your marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. I look at a prenup as really like a partnership agreement for your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, any any good business partnership agreement worth the paper it's written on is going to spell out what happens if a partner leaves the business, what happens if the business comes to an end. But that's not the purpose of the partnership agreement. The purpose of the partnership agreement is to lay out everybody's roles and responsibilities um, so that hopefully the partnership runs smoothly. Um, and I think that that should that's how people should look at a prenuptial agreement rather than simply just a plan for your divorce. Do couples at this early stage in their lives together have those answers, though? I feel like, well, maybe then they need to work with a good attorney who can sort of give them this like the future and what you're seeing maybe in the divorce proceedings and protecting against that in their prenups. But what are some of the things besides just sort of these general like financial contributions, financial arrangements that couples need to be thinking about as they prepare their prenup? And I'm also thinking for couples who may be like, this isn't for me, like, which I think you'll say obviously is a big misconception, but what do couples often forget? And then they think they don't need a prenup. Yeah. I think one thing that couples forget is how complex their finances actually are. You know, a lot of us, you know, we're getting married, maybe uh, late twenties, early thirties. We think, oh, well, I don't really have anything. I've just got, you know, I've just got a little 401k. I've just got a little bit in this condo. And we really underestimate the complexity of our finances, particularly compared to, say, last generation. So, you know, for example, my parents got married in the 1960s. And back then, the average couple getting married, first of all, they got married on average at age 21. And they likely had uh, 401ks didn't really exist. Uh, Credit cards, you know, were just coming around. People didn't really have them. Between the two of them, they probably had one bank account, no equity in a house. Student loans weren't anything like they are today. You could work your way through school, something that's laughable, you know, in today's economy. Um, And the average couple getting married today is usually getting average, getting married uh, closer to age 30. And that couple, those spouses are likely to have four to five bank accounts each, three or four credit cards each, uh, student loans, car loan, maybe some equity in a condo, maybe a small business. And so the couple in the 60s who was getting married, if they were if they were a business partnership, it would be like a startup in your garage. You know, two people starting from absolute scratch, whereas the average couple getting married today, it's like merging two already formed corporations. And you, mm-hmm. you simply would not do something of that magnitude without giving it some real thought and, you know, yes, putting some things down in writing about what are the rules of the road going to be? Yeah, it's it's definitely a mindset shift because not a lot of individuals, even if they are further along in their financial lives, would consider themselves corporations. But you're right. You know, I joined a company a couple of years ago as as a part in a partnership, it was a contractual partnership. It ended, um, but one of the things I really focused on and the legal team focused on for me was 
essentially the prenup. Like what's going to happen if this partnership does not work out? I was lucky because, you know, we uh, had that foresight. And so applying that again to a relationship, a marriage, which by the way, is a contractual agreement is, is how we should be thinking about it. What does it cost? Because I've heard some scary numbers. People avoid this because when you're getting married, you're paying for the wedding. Maybe you're also like trying to get your finances in order. You're paying off some debt. And then on top of that, throwing this legal bill, what are the costs really? And how can we make it more affordable? The cost of a prenup drafted by a, an experienced lawyer really shouldn't cost you more than a few grand. Really? Um, yeah. You know, the average, I mean, it depends, right? You can go and get, you know, the, the Kardashians lawyer and, and get into, you know, four or five, I mean, five or six figures, but the average person can go and get a prenup drafted by an experienced attorney, somebody that knows what they're doing is going to advise them on the kinds of things that they need to be thinking about um, for 10% of the cost of the average wedding today. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you kind of factor it in um, to the cost of, you know, kind of planning your marriage, planning your relationship together, it's it's a drop in the bucket. And certainly when compared to the cost of attorneys, you know, what attorneys cost on the back end uh, in a potential divorce, um, it really is a, a tiny fraction of that cost as well. What are your thoughts on DIYing a prenup? Um, I am a little bit terrified of of uh, people DIYing uh, a prenup. You know, some people, you know, if you've been married before, um, you kind of understand the financial d- dynamics. You know what you're looking for. Um, certainly, you know, you can uh, at least get most of the way there um, before you go to an attorney and have the the lawyer drafted up or, you know, use one of these other services. Um, but I find for a lot of people, they don't know what they don't know. You know, and the kinds of things that sound like a good plan, um, you know, when you're 28 years old and you're going into it and you have an experience, you know, having a family and children and somebody taking a break from the workforce or the possibility of disability or, you know, moving for one spouse's job, you know, all of the what ifs that a lot of young couples haven't considered. Um, There are probably things that an attorney who has been around marriage and divorce for a long time can advise you about that may not be top of mind for somebody going into their marriage. So mm-hmm. um, I think that people are well served by, you know, working with somebody that 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 knows how to advise them on uh, their particular situation. Mm-hmm. Years ago, when I was writing my book, When She Makes More, I spoke with a divorce attorney about prenups. And he said, essentially, which I think is, you know, it's a fact that you want a prenup if you don't first agree with your state's law as far as what would happen in a divorce. Is there any circumstance, are there any states out there where the divorce laws are pretty cool? (laughs) Uh, I mean, you wouldn't need to rewrite or create a prenup to speak against it or, uh, you know, create something that would override some of the state legislature. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said is exactly right. You know, everyone who is married already has a prenup. Right. You either have a customized prenup that you where you have chosen the rules or you have the default prenup that is written by the state that you happen to be living in at the time. Um, And the problem with going with the state's laws is it gives a lot of leeway to a judge to whom your case is randomly assigned if you happen to get divorced. And so, you know, it's not just about a particular state having cool rules around divorce. It's that so much of it is 
it's, it's really not rules about this is what happens when you get divorced. It's how much leeway does the judge have and what can the judge consider? And in most states, you know, there's nine uh, uh, community property states and the other 41 are equitable division states. And what that means is the judge can divide your assets equitably, but that doesn't necessarily mean equally. And what the judges can take into account is can be anything from, you know, from infidelity to who worked the most, to who raised the kids, to, you know, what they had for breakfast, quite honestly. And, uh, you know, you can walk into one courtroom and that judge will look at, at a situation and say, yes, you know, uh, this case is worth five years of alimony due to the difference in income and, you know, the working history of the parties. And you can walk into the exact same courthouse, one courtroom over, and the next judge can look at that exact same situation and say, you know what? Um, uh, when I, you know, when I got divorced, uh, I didn't need time to get a job, and I got back out there in the workforce, and I was able to, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps. And this case doesn't deserve any alimony at all. And right. having that kind of potential differential in what the outcome could be for the most important financial, you know, aspects of your life, uh, and leaving that up to really to chance to a judge um, is is a huge, huge risk. And it's unnecessary because you can just take that risk off the table by writing down on paper uh, what you and your spouse agree would be fair based on mm-hmm. your values and your principles. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think it goes beyond, you know, waiting on the court's rules. You know, why would you ever, you know, rely on uh, an uncertain system uh, rather than choosing the rules for your financial relationship right. yourself? What do you find couples disagree on the most as they're drafting their prenups? That is a that's a very interesting question. I think, you know, um, many couples come in saying, uh, you know, neither of us wants to pay the other other one alimony if the relationship comes to an end. Um, And those are the couples I like to work with the most because I get to, you know, spring on them some of the things they probably haven't haven't considered. I mean, a thousand divorce cases in, there are a couple things I know that don't work, right? You can't go Dutch for life, right? You can't have two couple, you can't have two spouses living in the same household, but in different socioeconomic brackets. And so a lot of couples will say, all right, well, you know, both of us are working. We both have careers right now. Let's just both, you know, put in our 50% of the mortgage, 50% of the rent. Um, but then with there's going to be a child that comes in, and if one spouse is going to have to take on the lion's share of duties uh, in the household, right. then all of a sudden that changes the dynamic. And the spouse who is taking a break from the workforce is all of a sudden at uh, a much larger risk than the working spouse. Um, and uh, if that couple breaks up, the one who has taken a break from the workforce, how long is it going to take them to get back to where they were? Will they ever get back? To where they were financial, financially or career-wise, and so um, some people have trouble wrapping their mind around the idea that there needs to be some kind of compensation for the spouse who uh, mm-hmm. takes a break from the workforce. Some people say, "Oh, well, you're lucky. You get to, you know, I get to. I'm the one working hard, and you're home, you know, with the children." And it's really that that spouse who is taking the huge risk right. by depending on, uh, you know, the working spouse um, for the relationship to work out. Mm. I totally get that. Um, and thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I was kind of trying to get to this point, but you brought it up just from that one question of, <laughs> you know, what couples disagree on the most. It's that payout. But what about a couple who they both work, but one makes significantly more. And so the other partner is sort of accustomed to a certain lifestyle. Um, I have heard from, you know, anecdotes 
uh, where that spouse who makes less but was accustomed to the lifestyle sues the um, the, the ex for a settlement essentially because they feel entitled to maintaining a lifestyle. And I don't know what judge would agree to that, but there are judges that have agreed to that. And so how do you protect against that perhaps in your relationship where it's not that one spouse isn't working, it's that one person makes significantly more. And now in a divorce, in in the aftermath of marriage, um, they're going to go and, and live their own lives. And the person who's making less is feeling a little, a, a little like they're missing out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great question. I mean, that exact issue is one of the reasons that I'm such a big proponent for prenuptial agreements, because you're exactly right. One judge may, may find, yeah, you know, that you were, you were in this relationship for 20 years and you, you, you built up a certain lifestyle and yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to put an award in place of alimony or a division of property where you get to maintain that same standard of living. Um, and I think that, Couples should decide what it is they are signing up for on the front end. You know, if 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 I am uh, going to be married to you for twenty years and I'm going to forego, you know, any kind of career, I'm certainly I should get something in exchange Great. for that. But how much is fair? Um, and so, what a lot of couples will do is come up with kind of a formula um, and say, for every year of the marriage, uh, you earn kind of this amount of potential alimony if the a relationship comes to an end. Uh, Michael Jordan's prenup has been in the news uh, kind of recently, and he has a situation where his wife would get a uh, million dollars a year for the first 10 years of the relationship. And if the relationship lasts longer than 10 years, uh, then it switches to $5 million a year. Um, and a lot of people hear that. They have some kind of visceral reaction to it. They have some kind of feeling about it. But that is what they agreed would be fair um, and from both of their perspectives, you know, Michael Jordan isn't putting his billions of dollars on the line in a potential later divorce. And from his wife's perspective, uh, she has no privacy for the rest of her existence, being married to you know one of the most famous athletes on the planet. And um, you know what she agreed is that she's going to have some financial security if the relationship comes to an end. Um, and in a in a weird sort of way, there's a financial incentive for her to stay in the relationship. So. Um, you know, it, that's probably not going to work for my relationship, um, but right. uh, or maybe for, you know, a lot of your listeners. But it's something that they decided between the two of them would be fair on the front end. And what I've found is people are a lot more willing uh, and able to come to an agreement on what's fair at the beginning of the relationship when the trust is high, when communication is high, mm. when they want to be aligned, when they want to be on the same page. I mean, you know, you pick up the idea of incentives, and I wonder as you're helping clients draft prenups, and in some cases postnups, we can get into that in a second too, because sometimes you get married too fast, you don't have time to kind of like think and, and plan for the prenup, but postnups are also an option. But what you know, is there a fear that couples have coming in that if we have this prenup, it could incentivize or disincentivize the the partners to stay or go? You know, if you um are of the belief that, you know, marriage will be hard and I'm going to give it my all. And then there could be another partner who's like, well, if there's an out, <laughs> if there's an easy financial out, I'm going to take that and maybe not put in the, the, the 110%. I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm speaking for invisible people here, but what do you hear in terms of some of these fears that couples have around the incentives to stay or go when there is a prenup in place? Yeah, I think, you know, pretty much everyone that I've come across who is getting married wants to stay married, 
right? So when we're talking about incentives, everyone wants to create ways to make the relationship. You said pretty work. much. That means there are some that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I think I read some statistic where, you know, 96% <laughs> of marrying couples think they'll stay together forever. And you, you wonder what's going on with that other, you know, 4%. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, I think that, you know, so for example, I mean, there are things that you can do to, um, without making any kind of perverse uh, incentives in your agreement that, uh, you know, benefit the longevity of the relationship. Everyone wants to incentivize themselves to stay together. So for example, I mean, it doesn't always look like, you know, $5 million a year, right? If you stay in the relationship, um, you know, for example, in my own prenup uh, with, with my wife, we have an agreement where if either one of us wants to go to counseling, uh, we're going to counseling, you know, we either one us can trigger this provision and we have to do three sessions. Uh, we can trigger at least, you know, no more than one time per year. And then before we would be even allowed to file for divorce, we would have to do six counseling sessions. And mm-hmm. by putting those kinds of um, maybe not roadblocks, but by putting those kind of provisions in place, you can create the framework where you give yourself a better chance to stay together. Um, another example is uh, we have um what I call the annual shareholders meeting in my household, where it's on our calendar and we wrote it into our agreement that we would sit down uh, at least once a year and we would open up the books. Um, we would make sure that all of the information about the household finances has been exchanged with each other. Um, we would look at the year past and were there any big surprises? Did we have any expenses that we didn't account for? And then use that information to kind of realign and set the budget, set the goals for the upcoming year. Um, and by putting some of these things in place, I think we give ourselves uh, a better chance of staying aligned. And hopefully, you know, hopefully I'm not too naive in thinking that we're giving ourselves a better chance of staying together and our relationship working out. I like that. I like that. And I, and I think you would agree that it's important to revisit the prenup um, as your marriage evolves is probably as children enter the picture or you're suddenly like taking care of an aging parent. There are different financial responsibilities. You buy a home, you start a business, you close a business. When does it make sense to revise a prenup? No, great point. Uh, a you know your financial relationship is not a set it and forget it uh, type of situation, and so you know I say at a minimum you know once per year to have that annual kind of shareholders meeting where you can course correct, make sure everything is still working for you, um, but also. Um, We'll typically write in that you'll revisit provisions within 30 days of any major life change. So a job loss, a job gain, a huge raise, a huge decrease in income, the birth of a child, uh, purchasing a house, moving to a different location. Any of any of those types of major life events are a trigger to come back and make sure that things are working for you. Um, Most people don't have to go back and revise their actual agreement um, because typically an agreement is going to be written with enough flexibility. So, for example, um, the most typical setup is uh, what I call title based prenups. So whatever's in my name belongs to me. Whatever's in your name belongs to you. Whatever's in joint names is a 50 50 asset. And that just creates these kind of simple money buckets that allows you to uh, adjust them on your own over time. So you can, you know, if you want this business just to be your project and you want to both own the assets and protect your spouse from the debts of that business, then you title that in your name only. Um, If you are going to get a rental property, but it's going to be a jointly run project, you put it in, in both names and you can take something that is in your name only and kind of contribute to the marriage, put it in joint names. If that makes sense, you can take money out of your 
separate bank accounts and put them into a joint bank account or a joint brokerage account, um, if that makes sense. So it does give you the flexibility to adjust on the fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you bring up an important point. I remember, again, when I was researching this years ago, the divorce attorney said that uh, you want to be really careful about your financial commingling sometimes in a marriage. Like if you come into a marriage with your own debt, just because you're married now doesn't mean that the couple shares the debt. There's a lot of confusion around that. And I think it's important to clarify that. Postnups. Now, if you're 10 years into a marriage and you're like, I think I want to get a postnup, I don't know, that smells like you might want to get a divorce, but I could just be pessimistic. What do you think? I mean, uh, and I also want to ask you later before we wrap, do prenups prevent divorce. But first, a postnup. What is that? And how soon or later can you get one? And um, who is that best for? Um, there's a few different flavors of the couples that get postnups. So, you know, the first is people who got their prenup too late, right? You got caught up in the wedding planning, everything moved a little faster than you thought it was going to, maybe you didn't hire the lawyer in time, and you're signing essentially what was your prenup after the date of the marriage. Then there are couples who, you know, many of the couples whose postnups I do, they basically realize that they are living in with different rules in their household than what their state recognizes. So there are a lot of couples who they kind of keep their finances separate, at least in their own in their own heads. You know, their income go into separate accounts. They both have their own credit cards. They pay their own bills. Maybe they have a joint account to pay for, uh, you know, the mortgage and the utilities and the groceries and the kids expenses. But they otherwise keep their lives pretty separate. And they recognize that. The state laws is not the state laws are not going to respect that kind of informal decision that they've made. And so they in their minds may say, this is my retirement account. That is your business. That is your brokerage account. This is my car. But if a dollar that either spouse earned over the course of the marriage touched any of those assets or debts, that is now commingled and is considered marital. And it is the job, it is the duty of the person who wants to prove, oh, this should be my retirement account to prove how much of that was from pre-marriage contributions and how much of it was from post-marriage contributions. And it gets really messy really quick. And so a lot of couples just say, hey, we already agree between the two of us, what's mine, what's yours, what's ours. Let's put that into a document that a court has to respect down the line if necessary. And then there are some couples who... The, the post-nup is the chance to try to save their relationship. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe there has been um, some kind of infidelity. Maybe it's, you know, it's, it's physical infidelity or it could be financial infidelity, right? Uh, there's been some kind of instance where one spouse realizes, wait a minute, you know, I've taken a break from the workforce for five or 10 years and I could be really left out there if this relationship comes to an end. If you want me to work on this relationship, we need to put down in writing, you know, what my you know, what my my safety is, what my parachute is, um, because I don't want to spend two years, you know, and 20 percent of our money in a courtroom litigating over, you know, what I should get if I'm committed to this marriage. And so, uh, yes, let's work on the relationship. Let's try to make these things work. But let's at least put down in writing, you know, what would happen if it doesn't. So we're not, you know, we're not making the lawyers rich. And it goes without saying that when you have a prenup or a postnup, the divorce, if that's what ends up happening, is much quicker, not only cheaper, but much quicker uh, than if you were to have nothing and now you're beholden to the courts and, and a judge. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. I mean, it's so much, so much cheaper financially, but also the psychological and emotional cost of divorce. I can tell you from having seen so many go through it, 
It is best avoided at all costs. The average contested divorce case lasts a year. Um, the average person spouse pays 15000 so that's per spouse in attorney's fees. A lot of people pay much, much more. Cases very often go into a year and a half, two years long. Um, and um, you know, it is not unusual at all for spouses to spend 20 to 25 percent of their net worth on lawyers and litigation costs fighting over who gets the other 75 to 80 percent. And you can just imagine the impact that has on people psychologically, what it ha- that impact that it has on their children. And so, yes, messy divorces are best avoided at all costs. Either you have to stay married or you have to make your divorce as painless as possible. Um, both are legitimate ends uh, in getting a prenup or a postnup. Your new book, The Prenup Prescription, I want to read the subtitle, Meet the Premarital Contract Designed to Save Your Marriage. So that brings me back to my earlier question. Can a prenup really save a marriage? And do we have data for this? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the data is forthcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, this generation, as I'm sure you know, is is way more likely to get a prenup than previous generations. I think the interest has has uh, increased fivefold over the past 12 years. Um, but a prenup done correctly, yes, uh, can save your marriage. Uh, it's no secret that one of the top, if not the top, thing that married couples argue about is money. And that is a failure to get aligned on your money rules and your money uh, practices at the beginning of your relationship. And a prenup can certainly help with that. Um, you know, I've seen so many relationships break down um, due to, at least in some part, due to uh, lack of transparency around finances, a lack of communication around finances, you know, a prenup to be enforceable. Uh each spouse has to disclose all their asses and debts to each other. And just that one step alone, that first step of getting a prenup can be something that is so hugely beneficial to couples down the line. So, um, you know, I look at it as, uh, you know, signing a custom contract and, and helping a couple get aligned on what their money practices are going to be at the very beginning of the relationship when it's going to have the most positive impact. Why do you need two separate attorneys? I've read this, that it's best for each couple to have their own attorney. My husband and I are doing our estate plan right now. We have one attorney for that. He's been great, I guess, because he's not planning for our you know, divorce, so to speak, but something worse, uh, potentially. And so- why is that the protocol? And how do you make sure that you are ha- you have just as good of a lawyer as your partner? Yeah, I mean, I think that couples should do everything they can to educate themselves on the options for prenups and agree on as much of what's going into the agreement um, between the two of them themselves. And then you're essentially having lawyers drafted up um, uh, a document that you and your spouse already agree to. Um, you have to have two lawyers because uh, technically it is it's a negotiation like a business partnership agreement would. And um, I also think it's a good practice for each spouse to have a lawyer because uh, you may have different fears. You know, I may be fearful of uh, my spouse's spending. Um, my spouse may be fearful of, uh, you know, uh, you know, our, how much we're saving in retirement, how those things will be split down the line. And um, or, you know, what would happen if. Uh, she were home with our child, you know, at the time that a divorce happened. And so a lawyer can really hone in and have a one on one conversation with you, find out what your fears are, what your needs are, uh, what you need to do to feel secure in your financial relationship with your partner, and then suggest provisions uh, specifically to address the things that are in your head that's keeping you up at night. <laughs> 
Well, I think we covered so much in just 30 minutes. Erin Thomas, thank you so much. Your book is called The Prenup Prescription. We'll put the link in our show notes. And is there anything else you think we should say really quick before we wrap that needs to be said about prenups? Um, Just that the investment in the communication about finances um, is really an investment in your relationship. The financial dynamics of your marriage dictate the personal dynamics of your marriage. And Mm -hmm. so it's something that is so important and shouldn't be overlooked. Aaron Thomas, thank you. Everybody can learn more about Aaron at prenups.com. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot to Aaron for joining us. His book again is called The Prenup Prescription. And you can learn more about the book and Aaron and prenups, of course, at prenups.com. I want to see you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh, okay? Don't buy anything crazy on Black Friday. Stay away from all the marketing emails. Just unplug on Friday, except do listen to this podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope it is so money. Money.